It's really good to see you all, and as always, it's a joy and a privilege to be here uh, with you and to share God's Word with you. Um, Today, uh, we are continuing um, what we've been doing for probably the last two years now. We've been studying the life of Christ in the Old Testament. We've been looking at Christ in the Old Testament. And for those of you who are new or a part of our class that have never been a part of our class, um, you may not be familiar with the Bible at all. I don't know. I don't know your situation. But the reality is is that Jesus was born. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birth. And that birth is foretold in, uh, in the Old Testament. But it doesn't come to fruition until the book of Matthew or the book of Luke. And that's when we get the, uh, the narration of Jesus' birth. That he clothed himself in human flesh and walked among us so that we could know him, so that we could know him as Lord and Savior. But when you look at the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you go through the Old Testament, uh, we need to remember that Jesus was not physically born in a physical body yet. The incarnation was a couple thousand years away from 1,400 years away from Abraham. But when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a promise of the coming one and all of the bible from the book of genesis to the book of revelation is christocentric it's all about jesus and when you learn to start seeing jesus in the old testament it opens up the bible to you in a new way we're going to look at a couple of passages tonight really quickly before we get into our main text tonight and we're going to see that a couple of these stories if you're not familiar with the bible they're actually kind of boring and they're kind of unfamiliar and they really don't make a whole lot of sense but when we start seeking to find Christ in those stories, then it makes them more interesting. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Where's Waldo puzzle, you know? Like you, you 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 tend to focus a little more and see if you can see him in there. And so, one of the things that we learned in the past, the reason that we study Jesus in the Old Testament, um, is because that's the way that Jesus taught. So when when Jesus taught his disciples about him, when he taught talking taught them about the Father. When, when he taught them, he taught them from the scriptures, right? And he and we need to realize that when Jesus was teaching in the scriptures, he was teaching from Genesis to Malachi because Matthew through Revelation was going to be written probably 30 or 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, you see? So it wasn't written yet. So when Jesus is talking about teaching his disciples in the scriptures, He's talking about teaching them from the Old Testament. And so what that should tell me and you is that we should be able to go into the Old Testament and see the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Anybody remember? Good news. We should be able to see the good news in the Old Testament just as much as we see it in the New Testament. Because you and I now have the Holy Spirit who wrote those words living within us, or, or didn't write them, who breathed those words into the apostles who wrote them. He lives within us. And so we should be able as believers, as children of God, to look into the Old Testament and have those words come alive to us because of the interpreter who lives within us. And when we and we need to do that. We need to read the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus it said, And then beginning in Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, he began to explain to them all of the things concerning him in the scriptures. And so all of the Bible is about Jesus and some of the different ways that we see him. Does anybody remember, just off the top of your head, I I gave you about five different ways that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. Does anybody remember any of those? Maybe you have your hand out, you can cheat and look. Prophecy. Prophecy, good. Uh, So, Jerry, give me an example of a prophecy in the Old Testament where I can see Jesus. Genesis 3, 
agree when you said I'm going to uh, good. the sea is going to be in between thy seed and your seed. Good. Satan, right. Said, um, you're going to strike his heel, but I'm going to crush your head. Is good. Talking about Jesus? Yeah, it's Genesis three fifteen. That's exactly right. And he told he said, okay, devil, uh, you may have tricked uh, Mary, but one day that woman's going to have a baby that's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Right. And so that, that's the first mention of the gospel in the scriptures. And what it's saying is, is that one day that woman is going to have a baby that's going to crush the serpent's head. And so all the way back there at the very beginning, we see that none of the fall of Adam caught God by surprise. He already had a plan in place to save him from his rebellion before he ever ate from the tree. Yes? Along with prophecy, there was a genealogy. Genealogy is good. And what is the genealogy? Um, the root of David... Uh... Okay, good. The family tree, right? So we're studying right now the life of Abraham. And if you go and look in the books of Matthew and Luke, yeah, how many of y'all have read and so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so? And you only knew about three of those people in there, right? <laughs> Tell the truth. You only knew about three of those people in there. Well, the reality is if you go back and read the Old Testament, all of those people are mentioned in the Old Testament. And and it, what it's showing is is that all the way through the life of Abraham and J- Isaac and Jacob, all the way through the life of David and Solomon, God would God was protecting his promised seed and that one day through Abraham and one day through Jacob and one day through Judah who was Jacob's son and one day through David and through David one day a king would come he had to be from the line of Judah he had to be from the uh, tribe of Israel he had to be one of David's offspring because he needed to be qualified to be the king right right so ge- genealogically he's He's qualified to be king because he is of the line of David. You read the book of Romans and you open up the very book of, beginning of the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1 and Paul will be make, make sure to let you know that, that uh, Jesus is David's son. Right? And because in the Old Testament it prophesied that a son of David would be the Messiah. Alright, good. Matter of fact, the most quoted Old Testament the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Psalm 110. What does that say? The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my feet, uh, at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Alright? Now, who was writing that? David was writing that and this is what he said. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, Jesus stumped the Pharisees with that question because he said, wait a minute. If the Messiah is supposed to be from the line of David, would the Pharisees have agreed with that? Yeah, because the prophecy said that the Messiah was from the line of David. He said, Jesus said, if the Messiah is from the line of David and God, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, which is the one that David was speaking to, the Messiah... Sit down in my right hand until I make your enemies foot. So he said, Why is David calling him Lord? David's his daddy. Right. And it stumped him, and they never asked him another question again. They couldn't answer that. Because when David said, The Lord, God, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, it was a prophecy of the day after when Jesus died on the cross. He was buried, He rose again, He ascended into heaven, and right now, where is He at? He's sitting at the right hand of his father. And he said, and his body never knew corruption, did it? It never rotted. 
right? And that's what Peter preached. He's like, hey, guys, I got news for you. David's bones are buried right over there. But the prophecy said that he would not allow his body to see corruption. So it certainly wasn't talking about David. And it was talking about Jesus, the risen one, you see. And so the Old Testament prophesies about the Messiah. The Old Testament prophesies about Jesus. It gives us all kind of prophecies. Everywhere you look in the Old Testament, you can see these promises of one who was going to come that would save us. Starting in Genesis 3.15, going to the Psalms, right? Moses said one day God's going to raise another prophet greater than I am, right? And they were all looking for that prophet. Remember when John the Baptist came along? They asked him, and he said, are you that prophet? Are you the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament to come? And, and, and he said, no. He said, I'm not even unworthy. I'm not even worthy to, to unlatch his, his sandals, right? So there, there's promises all through the Old Testament. So we see it in prophecies. We see it in genealogy. What's another way? Themes. themes. Well, give me a theme. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. All right, that's a theme. Shepherds. Who was shepherds in the Bible? Jacob was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Not only did Moses shepherd sheep, but then he went back to Egypt and got 2.5 million Israelites and shepherded them to the promised land, didn't he? Almost made it to the promised land. He was a shepherd. And King David, what did David do when he was a kid? He was a shepherd. And then he wrote Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want him. He makes me to lie down in a green pasture. And he talked about all of the ways that a shepherd provides for his sheep. All right? And then Jesus, when he was a baby, he was born. He became a man. He clothed himself in human flesh and walked among us. And when he was a little boy, he said he grew in wisdom and stature. And every week he would go to the synagogue. And three times a year he would go to the temple. And, and, they, and he, he would do all of the things that all Jewish boys would do. And one of the things that Jewish boys would do would be to sing the Psalms. So Jesus, as a boy, would sing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. Jesus would sing that song. It was a song. And they would sing it at temple. And all of his life he sung that song. And then one day he stood in front of a group of men that were about to nail him across. And you know what he said to them? I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. See, my granddaddy David was writing about me. That's what he was telling them. And it was a theme all the way through the scripture. The theme of shepherds, right? Uh, okay, a couple more and then we got, we'll get into the... What's another way that we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Theophanies. We're going to see one of those tonight. Theophany. Theophany. Theo being theology is a study of what? God, right? Theology is a study of God. I think we're going. I got a Theology Matters shirt on. Theo meaning God. Ology means the study of, right? So the study of God. Well, Theophany. Phaneru is the word appearance. So Theophany. What does that mean? An appearance of God. Now what the Bible says is no man has seen God and lived. And yet we're going to see tonight that you have seen him in a form, not in his and not in his righteousness, not in his holiness, not in his full glory. But clothed or garbed. Right? And we'll see that tonight. So we see him in Theophanies, appearance of God in the Old Testament. And was there one more? Types and shadows. Types and shadows, right? Types and shadows. And so uh, the ark, Noah's ark, is a type of Christ. All right? God told Noah to build an ark and to get in that ark 
And once he was in that ark, he would be sealed in that ark, and then God was going to pour his destruction down on the world, and anyone that was in the ark would be safe, right? So anyone in the ark is safe when God pours out his wrath on the world. The Bible teaches us that Christ died on the cross and spread his arms and said, What? Come unto me, all you that are burdened heavy lay, I'll give you rest. And you come to him, and once you come to him, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Right? So think about how many of y'all know that passage? Is that Romans 5 8, maybe? Somewhere along in there? 8 1. 1. There is now no, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Alright? What does that mean? You can't be condemned anymore when you're in Christ. Alright? So, go back to the Old Testament and think about Noah and his family. There is now no destruction going to come on anybody that's in the ark. There's no condemnation to those who are in the ark. The condemnation is going to come on all of those who are outside the ark. Why? Because they didn't believe Noah and they uh, didn't get in the boat. So because they didn't get in the boat, they died in the flood. Well, there's going to come a day one day when God is going to pour His wrath out on this world. And anyone who is not in Christ will be destroyed. You see how that works? So... The ark is a type or a shadow of Christ. Make sense? All right, good. So let's go into this passage here in Genesis chapter 21, and uh, we'll see if we can't see Jesus in here. Now, right away, we see him in genealogies, don't we? Because we're talking about Abraham and Isaac. Now, last time we were together, we talked about Isaac being born. So we're going to jump ahead of that. But let's look and starting in verse 9. Now, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For though Isaac is your, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Alright? So some of y'all pass, some of your Bibles may say seed. Some of your, does anybody say seed instead of descendant? Offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave them to Hagar, put them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness in Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite of him and lifted up her voice and wept. Now God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. What a strange story that is, right? All right, but we do see Jesus in this passage. Remember, it said through Isaac, all of 
the inheritance will come through Isaac. We see Jesus in this passage. I want you to look at verse 17 again. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Now watch what it says next. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation out of him. Now who's talking to him? An angel. An angel. Now, do angels have the power to do that? Angels are messengers, right? They're messengers of God. But this angel said, God heard. Alright, so I would I would guess that he's talking about God the Father. Right? God heard the voice of the lad where he is. Uh, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So, right away we know that we've seen... We see Jesus in this passage through genealogies. This is we're talking about Abraham's descendants, right? And we also see him in a theophany here, in an angel of the, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. And we also see in him in types or themes here. Look what it says in verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Now, what do you think of immediately when you think of a well? Water. Water. Deep? Okay. You think of what? Jesus and his miracles? Yeah, that's I, that's exactly what I think of. Did you know that that well is still working today? I, I have a, a, a doctor friend. That, uh, his name is Dr. Basharo. He's from that town. He, he's here in the United States, but he's from there. And they still, like to this day, you can go there and like pay money and take a tour and drink some water out of that same well that Jesus and the Samaritan woman was sitting at. But yeah, there's wells all through the Bible, isn't there? Um, we've actually seen a couple of instances where Abraham got in some fights over some well. We, I will see one here in just a few minutes where he got in a fight over a well. I asked a group of 12-year-old boys, we had this class one time when we were talking, and I said, why were they fighting over the wells? You remember how they were fighting over the wells? Well, why were they fighting over the wells? Because they live in the desert and you got to have water to feed your flocks. Remember Jacob uncovered the well to show uh, his uh, who was his wife Sarah? No, not Sarah. That's Abraham's wife, Rebecca. Rebecca. To show her how strong he was, he lifted that rock off so that she could feed all of the sheep. And so, why did they fight over wells? Well, water was vital. You had to have water to survive. Can you clarify? Um, were you talking about the angel Jesus, or when you said something about the Jesus? There's a little confusion about was it the Old Testament or the New Testament that Jesus? Just a few minutes ago, you said um, that you can relate this to the New Testament because of the angel. What was it? The Theophany. So that angel was Jesus. Okay, that's what I was Before he was born in the flesh. Okay. Right. Angel of light. Yeah, he he manifests himself in such a way that people could see him. Right. Uh, he he met with Abraham, Abram, and Sarah when he told them about her going, when she was going to have Isaac a baby. Okay. Is that like, the same with Moses when he had to like cover his face, or is that God? <clears throat> well, they're both God. Well, so, no, I know this, but like yeah, yeah. So Moses wanted to see God in all of His glory, and, and God was like, "Nah, that ain't going to happen because no man can see me and live." Right. So He said, "Turn away," and and 
he, he, I'll show you my backside, basically yeah. the backside of his glory. And then Moses' head lit, was lit up for like a week. He had to put a bag over his head because he was, he was glowing like a light bulb. So, so it says every time he's referred to as the angel, the of, the angel Lord, of the Lord, it's Jesus. Yeah. But when it says a yeah. angel of yeah. the Lord, it's just yeah. a regular angel. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. The, the angel of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So that's a way that you can. The reason I'm bringing these things up for you is for when you're reading the Old Testament, I, I want you to be looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. Because right. a lot of people don't appreciate the Old Testament because there's a lot of stories and narratives that they don't understand and they can't grasp. And the reality is he's all over the place. Yes, ma'am. Well, it says right here that we were just reading, it says God's angel. Yeah. Yeah. So, the messenger. The word angel means messenger. God's messenger. So that's Jesus. Yes. Because look what he look what he says in verse eighteen. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation out of him. If that's the angel talking, okay, and just a regular angel couldn't say that. Okay, all right. So the the uh, again, I want you guys to be trying to find Jesus like everywhere. Uh, now. You don't don't like don't like try to squeeze blood out of a rock. Like there's people see him in places where he's not really there. Like you can't do that. But in these main things, so like this well thing, right? Um, Jesus said that if you come to him, you will never thirst again. Mm-hmm. So when I think of well, I immediately think of Jesus and the satisfying that his that he gives when he pours his spirit out on you, and that you don't you and you'll never be in a desert again. You'll always have the the water bubbling up in you is what he said, right? And so I, I think when I think of the well, I, the, like I was going to tell you, those those little boys I had. So there's a story in here where Isaac gets in a fight over some wells, right? It's just a couple chapters after what we're reading now. And I asked the little guys, I was like, well, why are they getting in a fight over the well? And I was thinking, well, they would talk, well, we need water to survive. And they said, no, it was so that they needed a place to make wishes. Right? And that's why they was fighting. They wanted a place to make wishes. So that's just the mind of a twelve. That's just the mind of a twelve-year-old. But the reality is that the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, is the one that immediately one of the things that comes to my mind when I think of well. And that was Jacob's well, right? The Samaritan. Yes. Jacob's well. Yeah. And uh, and so again, I, I'm, that's just a theme. And when you read about that well, I want you to think about that theme that goes along with I that. Think about how they say like the, the Bible, well, his his word and him, like pretty much taken of him is is, is living water. It's good. It's, it's yep. Living, good. You know, That's exactly right. And she said, "Sir, give me this water." And he said, "How are you gonna get it? You, it's, it's the well's deep, and you don't even have a rope to get it with, right?" And so Jesus is the well that we come to for spiritual. Yeah. So, again, a little boring story, but there's a lot of stuff inside of there if you start looking at it, right? And and the reality is there's nothing in the Bible. Even though some of the stuff born, the reason it's born is because we don't understand it. We don't grasp the narrative. We don't understand the history behind it. Um, a lot of the cultural references and things are just beyond us. And so as we grow in our knowledge of it, um, it makes more and more sense. But not only that, if we can see Christ in it, then we're seeing the most important thing. And so uh, this next passage in 22 through 34, I want you to look at this, a covenant with Abimelech. Now, it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commanders of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear here 
to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I've shown you, you shall show to me uh, and to the land in which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained of Abimelech because of the well of water which the servant of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean which you have set by themselves? And he said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistine. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham, Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. All right, so what happened here is that they, they made a covenant, right? And a covenant is a theme that is all throughout the Bible. I don't think you, I don't know if any of us grasp the reality of how important covenant theology is. Like, it's very, very important. So, um, how many of you remember the covenant that God made with Abram uh, back a couple months ago? No? No. No. When he left the land and he made a promise where he said, I'm going to bless your seed. And then he put Abram to sleep. Remember he put him to sleep? Well, first of all, Abram had to take a bunch of animals, like a uh, it was a sheep and a bull, and and, and cut them in half. Remember, he cut all of these animals, seven different animals, cut them all in half, spread them apart. So you got half of a sheep over here, and half of a sheep over here, half of a bull over here, half of a bull over here, half a dove, half a dove. And so basically, it, that term is called cutting a covenant. So this is what these people would do. Two kings would come together. They would make a pact. They would say, look, I promise you that I will not attack your people if you'll promise me that you won't attack my people. Mm-hmm. They said, well, that sounds like a good deal. Let's cut a covenant. So they would take these animals and they would cut the animals in half. Then they would spread them apart and the two kings would walk between the animals and discuss the terms of the covenant as they walked through. Now, the significance of that is if I break this covenant, let this happen to me. Mm-hmm. See? The thing is, the, covenant, the covenants that were made were almost like prophecy. Like, I mean, well, it was prophecy. Well, it was... They, they, all of the covenants point to Christ. Yeah. All of the covenants point to Christ. So, there's all kind of covenants. A covenant is a, com, a contract between two yeah. people. And generally, in most of the covenants in the Bible, most of them are cut in blood. All right. So, how many of y'all can think of any other covenants that are in the Bible? Can y'all think of any? Good. The covenant with Noah. And what was the symbol of that covenant? The rainbow. And what was the covenant? What was the promise? I will never destroy the earth again with a flood, right? Okay. Good. The Davidic covenant. And what was that covenant? There will always be one of your seats sitting on the throne as long as you obey me and follow me. Right? So, there are different types of covenants. And some of the covenants were um, 
joint covenants. In other words, if you do this, I do this. If you do this, I do this. But remember, with the covenant with Abram, Abram was asleep. And who walked through the animals? The light. The lamp. Remember? I am the light of the world. Who follows me will never walk in darkness. So, why was Abraham asleep? Well, because Abraham would have never been able to keep his end of the covenant. Right, he was shady. Huh? He was shady. He wouldn't have done it or he just couldn't. He, he couldn't have. The, the, how about the Mosaic covenant? What is the Mosaic covenant? The one he made with Moses? Yeah. The one he made with the children of Israel at the, Mount of Mount, at the foot of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. And what did he do? Noah read the whole covenant. Uh, Moses read the whole covenant to him. And what did the children of Israel say? We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll keep it. Yeah, that sounds good. We like this covenant. Woo! And right before they could even get the words out of their mouth, they was already making a an idol. They were already breaking the covenant. So one of the things you'll see in the Old Testament is you'll constantly see people making promises to God and breaking them. Did uh, Jacob make one when he wrestled with God? Yeah, he sure did. He certainly did. Yeah. So all through the Bible, you'll see people making promises with God, and they never keep their end of the bargain. So the significance of the Abrahamic covenant is is that God promised to fulfill it despite Abram. Abram was asleep. Now, remember, what was the point of walking through the animals? It was symbolic to say what? If I break this covenant... Now, who walked through in the Abrahamic covenant? Christ alone. And he didn't break it, did he? No, he shed his blood. But, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of Christ. So the covenant had to be kept. And that covenant was cut in blood. And so Christ fulfilled that promise on the cross, didn't he? He died in Abram's place. Right? You see how that works? Now, what's really cool and about this this covenant this theme of covenants is that two of the greatest covenants, you, you read them every day and you don't even think about it. See the word covenant in Hebrew, the, covenant, the word covenant is bereth, and in Greek it's diatheke. But there are two covenants that you don't even realize you're reading every day, and one of them is called the old diatheke, or the old bereth, and the new diatheke, or the new bereth. The testament. testament. That's another word for covenant. So the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, what is the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant? The new covenant was once and for all. The new covenant covered all sin once and for all. The law and grace. Okay. There's law and grace in both covenants, right? What's the difference in the two covenants? Well, all of the old covenants, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Noahic covenant, all of those covenants were you do this and I do this. You do this and I do that. But the new covenant was different. You see? Born again. Huh? 
can be born again. Well, let's see what the new covenant looks like. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Let's look at a prophecy of the old, the the new covenant and the old covenant. So turn with me to Jeremiah 31. So what is the old covenant? No, no, no. So y'all hear what he asked? That's a very important question he just asked. So in the old covenant, you were made righteous by following the law. Right. And in the New Testament, we don't have to earn it. We we get we have to raise. Yeah. Salvation yeah. in the old covenant and salvation in the new covenant is by faith alone. In Romans 4, when Paul talks about being justified by faith, he uses Abraham and David as the two examples. Did David keep the law? What about what about Noah? It said he was righteous in God's eyes. Well, right after the flood, he got drunk and got naked. He broke it. Nobody has ever kept... No, nobody has ever been righteous except one man. Only one man kept the old covenant. Jesus. Jesus. He's the only one. So salvation has never been by righteous, our righteousness because no one could fulfill it. The moment that Adam fell, he lost, we lost any possibility of us being righteous enough to, to find favor with God. It's always been by faith. Even the Old Testament saints were saved by faith alone. Not by works. God gave them the law. So you remember the song we were singing tonight about John New? And, and, he, and So why did God give us the law? To show us that we couldn't do it. Is the law good? The law is the perfect will of God. The law is God's perfect will. God says if you want to be perfect, then do this. You want to know what it looks like to love God and love your neighbor? Then remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Mm-hmm. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. Don't take my name in vain. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. You want to, you want to show me you love me? Then do those things. If you want to show your neighbor you love him, then do those things. And the problem is, is none of us can do it. None of us can fulfill the law. The children of Israel were given the, the guide map. The, the, the entirety of the Old Testament is, here, children of Israel, you want to be righteous, do this. And what do they say? Okay, that sounds like a good plan. The Pharisees took it and ran with it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Look how righteous we are. You see? But the reality is, is nobody was justified by the law because we've all sinned. It's only through faith that we're saved. And it was the same for Abraham. Abraham In Genesis chapter 17 it says this, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was saved by faith. When you go to Romans 4 and you look at Romans 4, when Paul is given examples of being saved by faith, he uses David and Abraham. And those are both Old Testament saved. Oh, hey, one time I saw this documentary, right? And there was this, uh, these Christians that had just started a new church. And they ran, around, they ran around the city and they did like a poll of how many, they asked people, um, how many of the commandments have you broken? And uh, most most of the people they interviewed at least have broken like three or four of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not still. Like, that's not well, the reality is that we've broken them all. Yeah. 
either in thought or deed. Yeah. So that, I want to I want us to look at a prophecy of the new covenant in the Old Testament. So turn with me to Jeremiah thirty one. Jeremiah thirty one. And let's look at verses 27. And we'll look at a few passages there. It says, everybody there, Jeremiah 31. He's one of the Old Testament prophets. All right? See that? It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast, as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they will not again say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their hearts. I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not again teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. So God is making a promise through Jeremiah that in one day a new covenant is coming. And the difference in the covenants is going to be that the law is going to be written on the heart and not written in stone. Right? The difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is the New Covenant is a spiritual covenant that changes your heart. Alright? Let's look at another pack. Keep going Keep going to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 and uh, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from the lands. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. All right. So what is he saying? He said, one day what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach, first of all, I'm going to wash you clean because you're filthy. Then I'm going to reach in and I'm going to rip that heart of stone out of you. I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you and I'm going to fill you with my spirit and give you the strength to walk in a way that you would have never walked on your own. A lot of people think that this is the passage that Jesus was pointing to when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
this passage is a prophecy of what the new birth looks like. He takes us out of the old wicked land that we were living in, washes us clean, gives us a new heart, and fills us with His Spirit and gives us the strength to walk in a way that we couldn't walk on our own. So do you see the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant? The old covenant was, here's the law, obey it. Is the law good? Yes. Is the old covenant a perfect covenant? Yes, from God's perspective. Right. But the problem that we have with the old covenant is what? We, keep it. we can't keep it. That's the problem with it. It's perfect. It's a perfect expression of God's love. And every bit of it points us to Christ. All of the sacrifices in that Levitical system point us to Christ. The temple, the tabernacle, all of that points us to Christ. It points us to what we need. It's all beautiful. It's all a beautiful picture of who Christ is, and it's a beautiful picture of what Christ would do for us, and it's God's perfect will. The problem is we can't keep it. The Israelites couldn't keep it. We can't keep it. The law is perfect, but it can't change your heart. It's the perfect will of God, but it can't change your heart. What changes our heart? The Spirit of God and the Word of God working together. They never work separate. The Spirit never works without the Word, and the Word never works without the Spirit. But if you're in this room today and you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, it is because someone was faithful to God's Word and shared it, and the Spirit of God honored that and opened your heart so that you could believe. You see, and, and it's not about you making some kind of decision. God had already made that decision for you before the foundation of the world. And somebody did what they were commanded to do, which is share God's promises with you. And through the sharing of those promises, the Spirit of God opened your ears and your heart and your mind so that you could know them. It was a fulfillment of that prophecy we just read about in Jeremiah 31. That I will give you, I will put my law within your hearts. Yes? But everyone has it, right? Who? Everyone has the Spirit of God in them. It's just... No. Not everyone before they're born. No. Remember what Jesus said? Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Because we're all born with the spirit of Adam in us. Right. Sin. Well, Adam is not sin. He's just born in sin. He's very good at it. It's his nature. Original yeah. sin. Yeah. It's our nature to sin. Jesus has to profess that. He died on the cross. And accept him in your heart. To be born again. Okay. Now, I... Those things do happen to a child of God. Mm -hmm. But you are not saved because you profess Him and you are not saved because you ask Him into your heart. First of all, Jesus has no need for your heart. What you need is a new heart. That's what the Bible teaches us. Create in me a new heart, O God. You see, my old heart is dead in trespasses and sin. Mm -hmm. And God reaches in and He pulls that old heart out of me and gives me a new heart. A new eternal heart. That's like being the spirit. No? It's being born again. Remember what Jesus said in Nicodemus? Do not be amazed that I'm telling you, you must be born again. Okay. 
Who said that? How are you born again? Mm-hmm. You hear the promise of God. You trust the promise of God. And if you hear the word of God and trust the word of God, it shows that you are born again. Because only a person who is born again will hear God and trust him. So what, what about Romans 10, 9? What, what about it? If you confess with your heart. Okay. So if you confess with your heart that Jesus is God, you will be saved. All right? The confession is a fruition of your salvation. Remember what John said in, the, in 1 John? He said, no man can call him Lord except the Spirit of God be with him. All right. The only way that you can confess God as Lord is if He's changed your heart. So you're professing Him, you're confessing Him, you're asking Him to save you is not what saves you. What saves you is the work that He did on the cross. What saves you is the Spirit of God and the Word of God changing your heart and allowing you to know that. Faith yes. Right. Your heart, you. <laughs> yes. So, so again, Adam always wants to know what is it that I need to do. Tell me what it is I need to do. And what the old covenant shows us is, no matter what we do, we can't do can't enough. Do it. It's teaching me to stop relying on. Me and rely on Him. A way a person is born again is when God gives them a new heart. So, how many of you in this room remember being born? You remember? Do you really remember being born, Jeremy? I don't really remember it, but I kind of dreams about it. Okay, okay, you dream about it. All right. How many of you honestly remember being born? All right. How many people do you know that chose to be born? No one does. Right? So in the same way that a natural child never chooses to be born, the child of God does not choose to be born again. Once we are born again, we choose God. If you're in this room today and you believe Him and if you've received Him, it's because He worked in your heart and gave you that ability. I have a question. They say that God chose us from the beginning of the time. Even Jesus says that I have not lost none of the ones that you have given to me. So are we urged by the Holy Spirit? Since we're chosen before birth. Okay. Are we urged All right. So this is very important. God is the one who saves us. But God is the one who gives us the means for salvation. What, what do I mean by that? The plan that God has in place is that the gospel will be proclaimed. His plan is is that His people will go out and share the good news. And all of those who are supposed to hear that good news will hear it. But that does not negate the fact that I have to repent of my sins and believe on Him. Right? So what's my part in salvation? Repenting of my sins and believing on Him. Is that something that I'm responsible to do? Yes. I am responsible to repent and believe. But the only person that will repent and believe is someone who has a new heart. So, do you have responsibility in your salvation? Yes. You have responsibilities, but none of it is 
of your work. You're professing your repentance. The Bible even tells us that our repentance is a gift from God. Pray that God will grant them repentance. God, it's our work is repentance to, to work in salvation for those who believe. So, my believing in Him is a fruition of His saving work in me. The moment that I start taking credit for salvation, you're sinning. You're sinning. Yeah. What I'm saying, so, who saves me? The Father's love the Son's work on the cross, and the Spirit's drawing me to Him. Though the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are responsible for my salvation. God gave His Son a people. The Son promised to go in to save those people. He died on the cross to save those people. The Father and the Son sent the Spirit to the earth to finish off that work. And it's taking place before our very eyes today, right in front of our eyes. The Spirit of God is doing exactly what He was called to do, which is uh, sent to do, which is to draw all of those under Him. So, the Spirit of God draws us in. So, if God, like, if, if everything and every person doesn't have a Spirit, how does God use things that, like, people that aren't saved? Like, how, you know, like, He used a donkey, per se, you know, or He can use people that aren't saved to. to... Okay. Do you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember what Joseph said to them after the whole thing was done after 30 years? He said, "What you meant for evil, God meant for good." Yeah. So God can even take rebellious, wicked men and use their acts for his good for our good and his glory. Even though they don't have the spirit. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called yeah. according to his purpose. Yeah. All right, listen to that verse again. We know that all good things work for good. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? All things. All things work together for good. So, so the most wicked thing that ever happened on the face of the earth was when they nailed Jesus to the cross. Right. Right. Yes. They were murderers, and they murdered the Prince of Life. That's what it, Stephen said to them. You murdered the Prince of Life, but through that wicked act, God brought a salvation to His people. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so all of you, all of the wicked things that you have done in your life will work out for God's glory. Right. So, so on the last day, on Judgment Day, on Judgment Day, when God casts, when God draws His sheep Himself and casts all of the goats into hell, the whole world is going to rejoice that God is a just God. The world that does not get thrown into hell is going to be thankful to God that He is a just God. Yes. But every one of those same people are also going to be thankful that He's a merciful God, but except for the grace of God, there went out. Okay. So God can use judgment to glorify His justice and to glorify His mercy. Same way with our evil work. So we're talking about violence for murder. That gets me into a thing that popped up today. Um. So in Matthew, where it talks about heavenly violence, I already got my opinion. But when he talks about heavenly violence, isn't he talking about where Christians were murdered before they went to heaven? I'm just asking. I I don't know what the pastor you're talking about. It's a lot of where he said the righteous. 
Kingdom of Heaven, something violence in the the Kingdom of Heaven, something violence in the violence take it by force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's talking about persecution of Christians, right? There's no violence. Yeah, there's no violence in heaven. No, no, no. No, there's no evil in heaven at all. Yeah. 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 We're the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. All right, so we, we're going to have to end because we, we got like one minute left. One more question. So you saying that you don't have to confess that your mouth to be saved? No, no, no. What I'm saying is that the confession of your mouth is a fruition that you are saved. It's not what saves you, it's a proof that you are saved. Right. It says, it says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's exactly right. That's exactly so, all right, so watch. Watch. Heart. Hold on. Heart. Heart. Then mouth. Yeah. Okay. So out of the mouth flows the issues of the heart. The only person that can confess Jesus as Lord is a person who has a new heart. Uh, an unsaved man cannot call him Lord. If you confess with your mouth, it is a fruition of a proof that's in you. You see what I'm saying? So that confession is not what saves you. That confession is a proof that you are saved. The only reason why we can do anything is because what God did for us. The only reason I can even confess my sin is because He died on the cross first and, or chose me from the beginning of the world to save me. Right. He chose me before I was even born to call me to His right. So, we'll, um, next time I come back, we'll work on this some more, okay? We'll, um, we'll continue the discussion. Let's close with a quick prayer. Y'all have a good night, all right? These are great questions you're asking. These are things that you need to work out with fear and trembling in your heart. Amen? Amen. Seek His Word. Find out what His Word says. Because His Word is what's true. Right? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you love us enough to to call us to yourself through your word and through your spirit. I do pray for each man and woman here. Um, Many of us, I will be the first to confess in front of them that I still struggle with questions about my salvation, about life, about your providence, about your sovereignty. Um, You are a holy, holy, holy God and far beyond our understanding. But you have given us your word, Lord, so that we can know you and believe you and trust you. And I just pray that you'll help every person in this room to do just that. To hear your words, to receive your words, to believe your words, and to walk in those words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.